and lawyers, guns and money. Dead, get me out of this. Okay, welcome everybody. Episode 71 of the Matt Jones podcast. Only though, however, the second in 18 months. But nevertheless, we'll still call it episode 71. And joining me is the guest that second to only Tony Benetti, who works in the same building I do, is the person who's been on the most of these with me. And that is my good friend from ESPN, Bomani Jones. And Bomani, I realized I was thinking about this today. You and I have I met you now almost 14 years ago. Is that yep. not crazy? That is, I was about to say, man, the unlikely friendship continues. That's a long time, 14 years. Does it feel like you've been doing this that long? No, like every now and then I have something that pops up and I have to look back at it and be like, oh, wow, that happened, like, insert time here. Because, like, a big jumping off thing for me in my career was uh, the North Carolina 19, uh, 2005 National Championship. Mm-hmm. Yo, man, that's 15 years ago. And like yeah. the best way to look at it is if you go to the like the 2005 one, 15 years before that is 1990, right? Uh, yeah. You know, you know, and I know how far away even 1990 felt in 2005, right? Like this is part of getting old that every time you look around, you realize how old you are, but it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. No, I listen, I'm 41. I said this with Tony yesterday. When my mom was 41, I was 16. And it's so crazy to me to think that like, I remember thinking my mom was like old, not old, like old lady, but like not with it. You know, it's when I, cause you're 16. And the idea that that's how 16 year olds look at me now is like kind of depressing to me. Well, y'all like I was like, that was one of the things for me uh, with the last dance was when Jordan retires, right? It's three championships, his father's died, like all this stuff. And this dude is 30 years old. Right. Yeah. Like, like, like it, 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 it's interesting now as I get older to look at like the athletes that we cover and I do it through a completely different lens now because I had no real appreciation at the time of how absurd it is, how young these dudes are with the expectations that we got. on. Kobe was my age. Like, and that's the thing he, I've always, I've never been a big Kobe guy. I mean, obviously it's sad what happened, but I, when he was playing and I sort of followed how old I was in relation to the world by Kobe and when he passed away, it was a little bit like, wow, man, that's, that's Kobe Bryant. That's like my age. I mean, we graduated high school, same year. It's, it's, it's wild. I'm glad you brought up The Last Dance because let's start with that. You know, The Last Dance sort of introduced Michael Jordan, not as a player, but like his life to a whole new generation of people who may have been little kids when it happened, or for some who weren't even alive. I liked it. I enjoyed it. The debate seems to have been like, is it a complete picture of him? And I didn't really care. I just enjoyed watching those memories. What was your take on it? Yeah, like I think on that argument, it's like, what did you want it to be? And I get it. Like, I would like to see a deep dive exploration of Michael Jordan, right? I would like to see that. That's not what this was. Now, as what it was, it tapped into that place. Like you say, the nostalgia of it for people. Like it tapped into like, man, do you remember how incredible this was? Because I think the thing that we always have a hard time explaining to the youngsters is the magnitude of Michael Jordan. Like, we can't make you get that as big as LeBron is. It ain't the same as this, right? Like, part of it is just kind of like monoculture, right? The idea, well, he has so many channels. Well, he has yeah, so many like, they'll available. never be somebody like that again. Don't yeah, you think but, Tiger's the last one? Maybe, right? But let's think about this. If you drop Jordan off right now, he's still as magnetic as he was. He's still as exciting as he was. Because the thing about LeBron is LeBron's just not as cool as Mike. 
Like Mike was That's cool true. on a whole different level. And so I don't know what it would be if we dropped him off now. Because look, you drop people off now, man, there's still people out here with like 25 million, you know, Twitter followers and stuff like that. Like there are people who manage to be bigger than everything else. I think Mike might have been such a big deal that he could have been that big deal even right now. But it's also why people look at LeBron and Kobe in a Kobe in a much more direct way, but not the same. And just be like, yeah, man, but you're not Mike. Right. But like isn't we have the, the culture, I mean, Bo, isn't the culture that like now to where, I mean, I like if Jordan played now, someone would be on TV every night or on during the day talking, they do what Skip does to LeBron. Like somebody would be that. And that what that didn't exist back then. I mean, yeah. like I didn't like Jordan when he played and I always felt like I was the only person in America not yes. rooting for Jordan. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody would be like that now. That is interesting, like, because Skip, when Skip took that approach with LeBron, and I want to be careful how I refer to it, because Skip believes it. Like, I don't want you to think that I think that oh, Skip yeah. is completely making this up. Like, he believes it. Um, he was the only one that was out there. And then the decision came, right? And so yeah. once the decision came, LeBron became this polarizing figure, and then he achieved his way up and gave enough Mia Culpas, and then he came back, you know, around on the other side. Would there be somebody who made that decision that they were going to be that guy for Michael Jordan. And now the flip side of that is Jordan was so singularly responsible for the promotion of the NBA. Like so much of it was not just, we build around stars, but we build around Michael Jordan. Yes. I feel like if Skip had tried to run that on Mike in 92, somebody would have given him a phone call to explain that that is not the way that we all <laughs> not what do. We do. You ain't yeah. about to sit up. You're not about to sit up there with, with a corporate partner and kick it like that when that guy is the one guy that's driving this whole thing. Well, let me put it a different way. Okay, so they, they only dealt with it for like five minutes, but they dealt with the whole Republicans buy shoes too coming right. in. And do you think, let's just say Michael Jordan played right now and Donald Trump is president. I think it is almost impossible for an African-American athlete to to be neutral now because they almost make you be not be neutral. I mean, I, I like white athletes can do it, but I don't see basketball players like you're kind of, I mean, maybe can you think of one that is neutral? Could he have been Republicans by shoes in 2020? Uh, he couldn't get away with the quote, right? Like that's the difference. The difference between now and 30 years ago is a quote like that 30 years ago and like maybe you heard about it, but you're not sure that it's mm -hmm. real. Like, have you seen the uh, Teddy Pendergrass documentary uh, on Showtime? I have not. It's really good and it's worth checking out. But so this thing with Teddy Pendergrass, if you don't know the story, Teddy was riding around in his Rolls Royce one night and uh, was paralyzed in a car yeah. accident. And so I had heard growing up that he was pulled over with what we would now refer to as someone who was transgender, a transgender woman, right? God knows what the terms were, were then at the time. But that was just kind of floating around like you'd always heard it, you'd always heard it. So I'm watching this documentary, and they're talking about the accident, and then boom, next thing you know, there's the transgender woman. So right it's true. Yeah, yeah, it was right, it was true. But it just seemed like a story that people told, and yeah. so you could never lock into it. If Jordan were to do that now, everybody would know that he would, would have done it, and it would have like it would have locked differently. But I also contend on the neutrality. There are a lot of guys that are out here that are neutral. You just have to be silently neutral if you're going to do it. Like I don't know anything about what Kevin Durant 
thinks about That's anything true. politically, for example. Um, we could probably go up and down the league. And most dudes, we actually don't know very much about where But I think we from. assume, and maybe this is wrong, but we assume a certain political ideology. Like yes. I'll get, and I think it almost is sports specific. So I'll give you an example. When I found out that Dale Earnhardt Jr. was liberal, I sort of couldn't believe it. Because yes. I just assume, well, all the NASCAR drivers are conservative. I like NASCAR, and I, I'm like the only liberal guy that would be at the track. Right. And then I found out Dale Earnhardt Jr. was. Now, he's silently liberal. Like, he doesn't yes. talk about it a lot. He's like, but he Sager. is. And so I think that threw me off. So maybe there are conservative NBA players that we just don't know because they don't say. Oh, yeah. No, like, I will tell you this. Like, with the NFL, for example, I have had someone who would know these things say, you do understand that the NFL is the largest collection of black conservatives in America. Right? But you could see how that would happen. Yeah, yeah, you can see how it happened, but you could also see how it would happen with these dudes that make all this damn money, right? Yeah, like true. now, yeah. like the idea, if you vote behind your taxes and you make the level of money the NBA players make now, it makes a lot more sense to be a Republican about these things But now. they're not. Like, I don't know of any, do you know of any black NBA Republican? Yeah, I don't know who like the Charles Barkley or Carl Malone. But even Charles Barkley is. doesn't say now Carl Malone would be the guy, but even yeah. Charles Barkley doesn't say it anymore. No, 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 anymore. Right. But like at the time, you know, that was yeah. that was his thing with the great lie that his grandma said Republicans are they only care about rich people. And he's like, Yeah, well, I'm a rich person. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I don't know if you're gonna have a guy that's publicly declaring like that he's a black conservative, but you didn't have that many of them there. Like Carl Malone just existed in this I don't give a damn space. Like everything about Carl Malone was followed up by we can fight. And nobody really wanted to do that. <laughs> when you right? have that, yeah, when you're, you're not going to fight him. Yeah, yeah no, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But, like, I don't know. It's, I also think that politics now are polarized in such a way oh, that yeah. it would be difficult for somebody to say. Like, I think it's easier for you to declare yourself as being liberal while having some conservative leanings than it is in 2020 to say if you define yourself as conservative. In sports. What room is there for you to have liberal leanings within the idea of being conservative? That's a good, I mean, I would say, I am probably, I would say progressive slash liberal with con some conservative leanings, but not like a lot. Right. But you're right. You don't hear athletes say the opposite. Let me go back to last dance for a second. I listen to Rosillo and, and Bill Simmons sometimes. They've been in this big thing about how Dennis Rodman was not interesting. Yeah, I mean. Do you think he's, do you think he's interesting like on any level beyond he was weird like because there's a difference between weird and interesting right yeah i think he's interesting but it's interesting on a level that bill and ryan aren't going to care about but there is something very interesting there about dennis rodman which is it doesn't seem like he has met a black person that has gotten legitimately close to him in his life since he left dallas right like everything i see in him is such self-loathing Right, what was and the it, player that was big buddies with him, Jack Haley, is that who? Jack it was? Haley, yeah. Yeah, 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 Jack Haley. But like you look, like if you think about it, he went to Oklahoma for college, and he lived with these white people who were calling him the N word in the house, but they was his people. And then he gets to Detroit. You look at the women he dates. Like you look at who he's always around in all these spaces. Is that he kind of like crashed the door on like what the idea of a white rock star would be? And people, once he got in there, thought that he was really cool and like there's like a wild man from Borneo, like kind of element <laughs> to him there. And I think that stuff is not so much interesting. But I am interested in the idea that Madonna told this dude, you decide who you want to be. And this is the character that he created while being like the ultimate role player 
in basketball, like the most selfless guy yeah. on the court in the ways that we typically deem and observe selfishness. And it's obvious that he's trying so hard to just hold it together because he's so lost and he's so adrift. Like when you get to the human parts of him, I do think that he is actually interesting. I don't like, I didn't ever hear exactly why Bill and Ryan thought that he wasn't interesting. It just sounded to me like they were Celtics fans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they just thought he was, it was just like, I'm wild. So I, it's, they just kind of thought it was boring. Nah, um, nah, he's, he's, he's running to and from things. And that's the part. Like, they, they, that's did, true. A, they did a two hour 30 for 30 on Dennis Rodman. That was better than the last dance. Yeah. No, I, I, I didn't see that, but I could see. I've always found him fascinating, not for the, for the identity racially reason, yeah. but for the what you said about he's never seemed comfortable in his own skin, which I find really weird for somebody that it's almost like I'm going to be so outrageous that you think I don't care, but I actually care a lot. Yes. Yes. That, you know? I, yeah. That guy, I think that, I mean, and let's not lose sight of this. Who knows more about North Korea than Dennis Rob? <laughs> that's weird too. That's I mean, the craziest I, thing in the world. That's so like, weird. He, yeah. he, he went to North Korea with a team of dudes who had no idea anything about North Korea. And yeah. then they got there. And were like, what am I doing? Can I go home? And the yeah. answer is not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the NBA because I think hockey is apparently this afternoon going to announce whether they're coming back or not. By the time people listen to this, they'll know. But it seems like the NBA wants to come back. They want to do this thing and be in Orlando. And, and the debate as to what the system will be is, you know, whatever. They're going to be games. What do you think about the idea of this idea that the NBA feels like it has to come back rather than just wait a few months and start your season again. Do you agree with the decision? This is my take on the NBA with this. Um, and like the NFL has been in an easy place with this because they haven't had to make any hard decisions yet because yeah. their season doesn't start till late. But the NBA, I feel like, has carried itself in such a way that leaves me convinced that they have a real concern for the safety of their players and that they're not going to get out there unless they feel it is absolutely safe for the guys. Yeah. At which point I have to give Adam Silver the benefit of the doubt because I think he's earned a measure of credibility. And if he says that they can play to get this done and nobody gets sick, then they got to play, right? Like I do agree with that part. Look, man, there's people in all these offices every day they wake up and they're like, what do you do? I figure out how to go get this money. And so that means that every day in this virus going on, their boss expects them to walk by the office or to hit them on Zoom or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is and say, I think I got it, right? Maybe you got it, maybe you don't, whatever it is. But this is actually in line with what I've been hearing from some people behind the scenes for the last two months, which is that they believe that the beginning of June was going to be when you saw these things open up. And these were people with lines to the doctors, right? Not lines to the politicians about this. So if they can do it safely, then I say go ahead and get it done. I think there's like the idea of skipping a whole postseason, and I think this is crucial, a whole postseason where LeBron has a chance of winning a championship. Yeah, that's true. They, For the they, Lakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like nobody – if they shut this down, we are doomed. Like, if they shut this down, that should tell you that, you know, it's, it's really going to get unsafe. That's a really good point. You know, I, I had I had a, uh, somebody who works in, in viruses. I talked to him on the phone. And they said to me that they actually think June, July, August is the perfect time to play in Florida because that's maybe where it's the safest that actually it might get dangerous again in October, November, and the NBA might be doing something smart, which is they play through the beginning of September. They sit out when it'll be most dangerous, and then they're back in December, maybe when things are good again. So that's actually – maybe it works out perfectly. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it could. Like, I see a lot of people that make the argument that they feel that there is, like, almost like concern trolling about this and that people are rooting against things coming back and they want everything to burn. And I, I, I don't think Who are those people? Like, like we, for people who cover sports, they accuse us of doing that, Bomani. I need it. Like, we yes. need something to talk about. Like, who wants it not to come back? Yeah, these contracts, they got clauses. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, 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 like we want this bread. Like, we want to be back. But I do think that it's easy to assume that the institutions are just craving and greedy. And so that when they want to come back, they want to come back ahead of time and so forth and so on. And I do think that some of these people involved in these decisions deserve a little more benefit of the doubt than we've given them. Like just, just a little. Bit. See, that's weird. Cause you're not a benefit of the doubt kind of dude often. No, no, I am not. I am not, but I am cynical enough to know that these guys have to know that whatever bills they got to pay right now, if they come out here and say that uh, like your stadium turns into a super spreader event, I think they're all bright enough to understand it can't be that, you know, like I, I feel like the people involved have to know what the risks are. Well, there are two different questions. The question of whether or not to play and the question of whether or not to have fans. And I think the fans is a whole nother thing, but you can probably play and be all right. Yeah. But here's the thing, all these leagues, let's say they all come back. Somebody's going to get it. Yes. And the question is, are people okay with them keeping going when someone gets it? Cause it's going to happen. Yeah, I think they ultimately will be, right? Because I think a lot of the rhetoric in politics right now is about, hey, somebody's going to catch you. We got to keep on going. What yeah. I don't think has been discussed enough about this is we talk about this basically like it's binary. Either you get it and you die or you get it and you don't, right? We hear about the asymptomatic cases and we hear about the mild cases and we hear about like the terrible cases, but we hear a little bit about these in-betweens, right? So my question is, well, I would be most afraid of if I'm the league Aside from the idea that someone could catch it and die, of course, that would be terrible. But if somebody catches it and winds up being one of these people with the permanently damaged lung capacity. I know somebody so, like that. We talked yeah. about him yesterday on the show, a, a reporter here in, in Kentucky. And it, I didn't realize he's, it's been a month since he, he, he was over it and he still can't walk more than a few feet without being exhausted. Yeah, yeah. Like people are like talking about, I can't walk to my car. You know, like those are the stories that we're not getting enough of because we're just like, oh my goodness, it's good that you didn't die. But these are athletes, right? So like, imagine that we get this and Giannis Antetokounmpo winds up getting the coronavirus and when's he coming back? Well, he's shaking it off. When's he coming back? Well, he kind of can't breathe. That's crazy. You I know, mean, that, that's, that, that that's would the be, one. That's, that's the true. one. And like, imagine you living in the bubble. And so, like, like if, if we found out that Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert could never be the same again because of damaged lung capacity, that, like, that to me is the one that has to scare you to death. And then players, won't, then players are not going to want to play. Correct. Oh, or you, some of them, at least. Well, have, I mean, have you seen this where Damian Lillard is like, look, if we ain't going to the playoffs, I ain't coming. <laughs> right? Which I, I understand. <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. I, I, I understand. Um, Keep your money, right? Like, as if you hear, they're like, well, we won't pay you. Fine, then. Don't pay me. What is the benefit? So, like, I've made the argument that the first sport, I mean, you saw this with the ratings for Tiger Phil and the NASCAR race. Like, people want to watch something. What happens if hockey – basketball football come back and baseball doesn't which is a real possible scenario does that just mean baseball now is like we just don't ever talk about it anymore i feel like that's where we are now though right like sort I feel of like it's a local sport really yes, i mean like people care about their local team yep that's the thing baseball is for baseball fans yeah like that's the thing about it. like i feel like if you wanted on your radio show to talk about the reds 
you can make a segment out of the Reds. You can make a show out of the Reds. Can't make try- a segment out of the Brewers. Right, right. If, or if you try to if you try to take it to the Cardinals, right? Yeah. Like my guess is it's probably not going to happen. And that's where baseball is. Their local numbers are good because honestly, they don't have much competition during the summer. Um, but like it's not a national talker. And the truth is, it's never been a national talker. You just didn't think about it prior to the existence of like this national sports machine yes. that we've got here. So for them, I guess that's the way that they're just gonna play it. It's like, okay, we'll come back and those people who live and die with us are gonna be the ones who follow us. They're really good at making money, which is part of why like their larger significance doesn't matter nearly as much because they're just so good at printing yeah. money with all the technologies and everything they have. But no, I agree. This would be them moving more and more into locality. Yeah, so like horse racing is a good example of this. Yes, Horse racing is really big here. I mean, Churchill opened two weeks ago, Churchill Downs, and had their biggest like regular day ever because everybody was so desperate around here to gamble, et cetera. But nobody thinks about horse racing except for on Derby Day, really, or maybe Belmont Day if there's a triple crown. But that's it. Nobody really thinks about it. Um, you know, NASCAR is big for NASCAR fans, but except for the Daytona 500, it doesn't reach your all's radar unless right. something crazy happens. I don't feel like baseball's that yet, but in five years, it could be. I mean, you- the thing about baseball, the biggest stars in the game, like the best players, people don't know who the hell they are. No, no. I like in so many of them, I can't pick out on the street. Me like, either. I know one by name, Paul Goldschmidt. If Paul Goldschmidt <laughs> robs me, he can have the money. Cops will never find him. I will not be able to say that's Paul Goldschmidt. I might be able to say that was a dude in a Paul Goldschmidt jersey and he robbed me, but he better turn his back because I don't know about a number. You Who's know? the most – put it like this. Who is the most known by face baseball player in America? Current. Wow. Is it Justin Verlander just because he's married to Kate Okay, Upton? maybe. And he's on the end of his career. Right. And again, and because he's married to Kate Upton. Like, so it who is, is, like I, I don't know the answer to that question. Like, I think about, so I didn't care at all about baseball. Like, two years ago, I picked up the Reds just as a hobby for the summer. So I know all the Reds players. When they play other teams, I don't know any of those guys. <laughs> yes, I don't know any of them. I, I have no idea who they are. Well, think about this, man. 75 years ago, the biggest sports in this country were baseball, horse racing, and boxing. Yes. Like, it stands to reason that interest in baseball might be toward the place where the interest in these other sports are. Now, with boxing, though, and this is the difference between baseball and boxing, a big boxing match will still captivate the world. Yes, if it's like, well, I hadn't watched a boxing match forever. I watched Tyson Fury and What's-His-Face, and that was great. It was awesome. Right, I don't know what baseball would have to do to captivate the world. I don't know what could happen. Like, they got the home runs back, and nobody cares. Yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question. I mean, what's weird is football's the biggest sport in America, but we care about basketball players more than anything else. Absolutely, and part of why they love football so much is that you don't have to care about the players. It's about yourself. Right, like it is. That's a good way to put it. It becomes it becomes about each uh, each other. It becomes about the tailgate. It becomes about the crowd. It becomes about these cultural things. Everything else. The other thing about the NBA that is interesting is that the NBA, unlike baseball and football, does not sell itself as an American game. Um, Yeah, like they're the only ones. Like you know, football they rolling the big flag off you know around the field and baseball and everything else. Basketball is selling it globally because so much of their money comes in from like from overseas. Like that's that's how they get it in their sale is by making this like hockey. They can't lean in on the America stuff the same way because no. the players are largely not from America. You got six, yeah. seven teams that are not American. I think they're basically they run their, you know, Toronto was like the epicenter of the hockey world. And so they don't do it in that way. 
baseball and football, that's what they sell. It's not so much about selling the sport as much as it is. Like, we're selling a lifestyle that surrounds it. Let me ask you about something that you and I might disagree on. What did you think about when all the China controversy with the NBA? I was really disappointed in not so much – I mean, like – let's go back to what you were saying. I don't think any player has an obligation to have a certain social mindset. Right. But I was very disappointed that it felt like to me, a lot of the people who speak out on social issues simply didn't on this one. Cause that's where their money is. Like that was it. Like, it wasn't like, okay, I've looked at this and I'm not sure which side I'm on. It was basically like my money comes from China. Everybody shut up. Did that disappoint you? Um, I, I will say it did not. And this is why because Maury couldn't stand to say it twice. What do you mean? I mean that Maury sent that one tweet out and then the world caught on fire and he didn't stand on it, right? Okay, like, but then, all right, so then I'm disappointed in him too. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 no, but, but just, I, there's a reason why like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of leading up to it, right? Okay. And so like my thing was if Maury was going to be down to stand on it, then I'd look at all these other people and be like, yo, you need to come and stand on this too. And I do think that what happened was people were like, yo, I got money on the line. I'm not going to do this, which for what it's worth is a kind of business decision that guys like me occasionally have to make from time to time, right? That's true, like, you do. Like, yes. like, we, like, like we can't fight all the fights on this one. Where the players were coming from that I don't think was discussed enough was that anytime they had something to do involving China, like the world, you know, championships, those preseason games, whatever it was, the league comes and drills into the players. Here's what we not going to talk about, right? These are the things that we are not going to do. This is a very, very big deal over here. So this is something that we are going to leave alone. And so with the players, they are looking at Maury and their frustration with the league was you would have killed one of us if we had done this. Right. And now you're just going to let this guy slide. So the people who initially are telling the players lay, lay on this and everybody's like, okay, we're in on this together. We kind of made this deal with the devil. We're going to do this. Okay, cool. And then everybody's like, well, now guys, why don't you guys stand up and say something now? They're like the same reason we didn't stand up and say something before. Cause everybody in this has made the deal that this is what we're going to do, including like a Daryl Morey type. Like everybody seemed to have made a decision that they were going to do this business with China. And once you did it, you're in now. And that's why I didn't get so mad at everybody after the fact, because they made that deal on the front end and now you have to live with it. I mean, fair enough. And I understand everything you're saying and, and I get it and, and money makes it harder and you make a good point. Sometimes I don't say the things I'd like to say. I mean, when I go on ESPN radio, I give a different point of view than when I go on KSR because I have different things that I'm allowed to talk about. I, I get that. But at the same time, there's a part of, you know, things matter that don't just affect you. African-American players correctly can call white people out and say, we need an ally here, even though it doesn't apply to you. Right. I don't know why that doesn't happen, though, for the people of Hong Kong or for Asian people like they need an ally. And to be quite frank with you, what's more powerful, the I would argue that America's most like America's greatest power in China might be the NBA in terms of being able to stand up for something. So, I mean, I don't I was just disappointed because it's very easy to take up only for the things that matter to you. Yeah. It's harder to take up for things that don't matter to you and that still should. Yeah, but I think 
where that gets interesting to me is I feel like what winds up happening is the people who stand up for something then wind up having to carry a greater burden than the people who don't fair. stand up for it. Totally anything, fair. Right? That's, you know that's what I mean? Totally fair. You know, because yeah. like I'm looking at it like, I don't know, insert random NBA owner here, right? What none of them try to stand up for Daryl, what nobody else that works for the Rockets <laughs> yeah. try to stand up for Daryl. Everybody was looking at Daryl like, dummy. Like, <laughs> you're going to make look, us I, run. <laughs> you got to say, I talked to somebody and I can't remember the exact metric, but there's some people you'll talk to in the league who'll tell you that Daryl Morey did as much damage to the cap as the coronavirus did. Wow, I bet that's true, though. Yeah, yeah, like, 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 it's a huge thing. You know, his owner out here, did you see this, where Fertitta had to take out a $290 million loan at 13%. He basically had to put $300 million on a credit card because his, his money is that funny, <laughs> wow. like, like, as it stands right now. Yeah, 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 so all those things. But the people who never say, the people who are just greedy all the time and never say anything about anything in the world, they get to skate. And then the guys who are saying, in many cases, hey, please stop shooting us for walking around. Now we're like, well, what about shooting those people over there? No, that's a great point. Like, that's know, a great point. I mean, I, they, I hadn't thought of that, but that's a really good point. I mean, we had, we just had a couple of days ago here where the governor was hung in effigy. Yeah. On And a lot of people, when I spoke out about it, goes, well, you didn't criticize, and then they just picked some random story in Minnesota, and I'm like, well, man, I can't, I can't spend my whole day yeah. criticizing everything all the time. Yeah. You, you know? can't, you're, you can't pick, every, you can't win every fight, right? Yeah. But I do think though, the thing that happened in the NBA that wasn't discussed enough is that LeBron decided to take on the fight and the burden for all the players, right? He's the one that got all the bad PR out of this, right? We got yeah. all, we got a league full of stars. He's the only one that anybody went to and were like. Why aren't you saying anything about this? Why are you talking about Daryl Morey? Because his thing was when they got in those meetings and they talked about that, LeBron was the one raising his hand and being like, so what y'all going to do to him? Because if it was one of us, you would have done something. So what is it that you were going to do to them? And keep in mind also with the NBA, those guys talk about a lot of issues. That is true. But nobody in the NBA did any demonstration or protest during the National Anthem. Right. And the NBA has a rule against it. Right. But nobody did. And what that was. Are you surprised by that? No. And I'm not surprised because I think what happened most likely was that's a league that listens to its players. And the only way that that can work is if your commissioner is trusted by the players and there's some measure of dialogue and you decide, mm -hmm. well, this is how we are we'll going to go yeah. about doing that. And so if you feel like you've negotiated with the league about the things that you want to talk about, it becomes a different issue when you start talking about Maury and China because it becomes less about what he said about China than the way we as a league do business. Like this became a labor issue rather mm -hmm. than one of just social consequence. That's interesting. Well, let me switch gears to college sports. You know, there are a lot of cases to be made for pro sports returning. There's collective bargaining. There's a lot of things, a lot of money to be made. Lot, the players need the money too. I mean, that yes. especially in the <laughs> NBA, they, they need it because they like to spend it um and football too baseball players they don't for some reason seem as eager to play but they also make absurd contracts some of those yeah. baseball players yeah they're, their money's a little more guaranteed yeah but um but let's talk about college sports because i do think the calculus for bringing college sports back is completely different and drew and i said the other day once they made the decision the sec and the ncaa we're going to bring football players back to campus before we bring students back to campus I guess, I guess I knew that was going to happen. But at that point, once you do that, 
aren't all your arguments of them yes. being, aren't they all gone now? Yes. The phrase is giving the game away. Like I have believed that they're just not going to be willing to give the game away. And there are a lot of people who are still like, we're not going to give the game away. And you notice, by the way, you hear those arguments really the most from the Big Ten, which is the most legitimate academically of all these conferences. But the sports matter too. I mean, it's yes, not like yes. the Ivy League, right? Right, you right, know? right. The sports matter. But this is something I'm, I'm sure you've picked up on, but I don't think that the average sports fan understands is being an SEC school matters if you're talking about football, right? Mm-hmm. Being a Big 12 school matters if you're talking about football or basketball. Being a Big Ten school matters to academics in the way that being an SEC school matters to football people. Like, it, it has a different branding amongst those yeah, people. Yeah, I always say the Big Ten is academics, kind of how the SEC sees its culture. Yes. You know, when Missouri was allowed in the SEC, some people didn't like that because it just didn't seem like part of the culture of what we do. Yes. The Big Ten's and, like that, too. Yeah. And at Missouri, by the way, that the SEC is not where they wanted to go. They see themselves as a highfalutin academic institution. Yes. They wanted to be in the Big Ten. Like, you come to Nebraska, and you're like, hey, Nebraska, you could be in the Big 12 or the Big Ten. Get us into the Big Ten, right? Yeah. Like, like this, like, they look better because they're in the Big Ten. But I bring that up because you saw Michigan's president, who was an immunologist, who's just like, hey, man, if we can't get the kids on the field, if we can't get the students on the campus, then we're not going to put the kids on the field. Like, we're just not going to do that. There's always Do you somebody- believe him, though? Do you yes. believe that's it? when push comes to shove? You believe that's what he'd do? Yeah, because they can afford it. Okay. I think I think they've got the money, and I think they've got the right highfalutin kind of alumni base that would be behind it. Like I do think that he is correct. Like I think that man would probably quit his job before he went out there and did it. If he wasn't an immunologist, I may look at it a little bit differently. But what I want to know is all these helicopter parents out here, and you somehow think that all eighty-five of these scholarship athletes are going to show up to risk their lives to play this football? All right, like all these phone, all these phone calls that all these professors get for all these reasons from these parents, and you think that everybody's gonna send a baby out there to come That's engage true. in this? Like, if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I don't have anything to gain from playing whatsoever. Yeah, why would you? Honestly, play. Trevor Lawrence is the one, and you know, Drew wrote in his post on KSR, like, here's your leverage players. Now, the problem is they can't act as a collective. That's what makes right. it hard. They don't have a union. But, like, it would only take Bomani, like Trevor Lawrence, to really make a stir if he wanted to. Yep. Like, you tell me this. You think your mama would send you? Would your mama send you there for this? Because I don't think mine would. Uh, mine would not. Mine would be very skeptical. I don't know if she would all like. She wouldn't want me to play, but yeah. I think you know. So yeah, I think that's fair. There will be some who won't. Yeah, like it's, like that's that's where all of this. Because look, they they've decided to give the game away. Like it, it is amazing if anything has happened in the last four years. Like I don't care what your politics are. This part you'd have to acknowledge. Uh, is that giving the game away is a lot more fashionable than it used to be. Like there used to be a measure oh, of like, like, like a veneer or something that yeah. people felt that they had to put in front before they do stuff. No, nah, that ain't the case anymore. Well, so let maybe- me ask you about that because you're right about that. I mean, I do think people, they say the bad part out loud now in a way yeah. that's like almost crazy how much they do it. Um, as someone, do you prefer that? Do you prefer to know where these people stand? Uh, maybe I've just always been so comfortable making my own assumptions that I didn't need them to tell me uh, to, to, to make me feel better about these sorts of things. Like, you know, it's funny when people just like tell you the bad part out loud. It really depends on the tone of your voice and who you are. Right. Well, just Joe people- Biden. I mean, think yeah. about Joe Biden's statement the other day. Joe Biden's statement. Some people are mad about it. I get why they're mad, but he can get away with it. 
Someone else can't, but you right. can flip. I could give you conservative things Trump could say that if Obama said you couldn't yeah. get away with it, like well, that's well, just the way it goes. Well, like for example, Charles Barkley, who I know and I love to death and who I disagree with on a zillion different things. That you say I you did. love him. You didn't always love him, right? Uh, I have never, I have never not, I've never disliked you him. You and right? I have had Barkley disagreements yeah, 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 over we, the years. Yeah, yeah, we have, like Charles and I have huge disagreements on politics and matters. And I'm, un, I've always been bothered by the people's willingness to put his political beliefs on television just because they think they'll stir something. Yeah. Um, but the thing I always like about Charles is I know this. Charles is always coming from a good place, even if I it agree, sounds yeah. ridiculous. Like, like, and I, like, I don't know him well, but I know him and I know him enough to know that he is always coming from a good place. But I have also existed around Charles and seen Charles say things that would have gotten me fired, that would have gotten everybody else fired. Yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, Charles Barkley can get away with saying things that other people cannot get away with saying. Sometimes life ain't fair. You're not the person who can do that. <laughs> Charles is the person who can do that, right? And so sometimes they're saying the, 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 the like Bobby Bowden used to be that guy. Yes, Bobby Bowden could That's just so call. transparently tell us what's going on. That time that they, uh, Sebastian Janikowski got caught breaking curfew at the Sugar Bowl. And they asked Bobby Biden about it. And Bobby Biden said in the press conference, oh, he was on Warsaw time. Like he's not, he's not even trying to lie to us about this. You know <laughs> I didn't I mean? know that. That's great. Yeah, that's the thing. He's not trying to lie. He said about Peter Warwick after the fact that if a kid comes in and tells him that he got a great discount, I want to know how I can get it. Right? We let Bobby Bowden do yeah. these things in a way that we would not let insert coach here get away with. And it's funny because it's hard to pinpoint why that is. Were you, I mean, were you upset with what Biden said? No. Why? One, I thought it was what he said it was, a bad attempt at a joke. So did I. And, and, and look, man, here's what it comes down to for me. I, I don't, I, I got a curve that I grade white people on, <laughs> on these matters. I do, you know, like if like it, like it was Chris Rock talking about men and cheating, talking about like you can't call like like you can't. I, I guess I can't make that reference directly, but it's like you play basketball with some people, you can't call a double dribble, right? Like this is not this is not what it is. So Joe Biden, who has his own problems saying the right thing all the time anyway, yeah. and now he's there on what is like Black America's radio show now as it's coming across, and he's trying to do this thing that white people often do among themselves. But it gets awkward when they try to do it in front of black people, which is explaining how much black people like them, right? Like, you remember in the OJ documentary where uh, Marsha Clark would be like, oh, black jurors love me. Some of my best jurors are black women and all of this stuff. Because she just believed that she was the black people whisperer and yeah. that she knew how to walk in. Barry Switzer, his autobiography, he says directly in a quote in there, I was the best recruiter of black football players in America, baby. Like, he saw himself as that person. Biden, who ironically got on the Obama campaign because he is the white people whisperer, right? Like he was yeah, the guy that true. was supposed to go talk to the working class folks, but he also is the senator of a state with like a 20% black population. That's what people don't get about Delaware. Joe Biden has had to deal with black people in order to do his job and in order to win elections there. So he believes I know how to talk to black people, right? Black people love me. I was kicking it with Obama. And so he's trying to say that if you think that my I, I'm the same as Trump, he was saying you're not black. Not that if you support Trump, you're not black. But his belief is if you are a black person, then you know that what I say here is different than what he says there. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that. That's a really good way to put it. Because when I went to law school, I had a, 
a really good friend who's a black guy from from New York and I and we became good buddies and we were sitting around one time and it was talking and I was just like we were talking about my hometown of Middlesbrough and I was like you know like I was the blackest person from Middlesbrough and he looked at me and said just don't say that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah like I thought it was like really comfortable like of course like I'm on your side and he was like just don't say that Right, that's the thing. You don't mean to harm by that. Like, yeah. like, like you and I have this friendship. We've been through this. You think about it. I've never really gotten mad at you for anything that you've said. Not and really. You've called, no. And you've called me up and been like, "I need to ask a black person about this stuff." Because <laughs> the, the only time you ever got mad at me, you were watching. I remember this. You were watching LeBron versus Durant in the NBA Finals when he played for the Thunder. Yes. And you and I called, and you go, "All right, man, the NBA Finals is on. This is not my black person friend time." <laughs> yes, yes. That was that one time, right? But, but that's the you know. Like I, I like I don't know. I guess I got so many other things to like really get riled up about when it comes down to these things. That thing with Biden wasn't it. But the thing with Biden did expose though, and this is something that again I don't think people talk enough about. Discussions about race for white people are discussions that white people have with other white people. They do, yes. Right. It's it's an intraracial discussion. Like the tone and tenor of a lot of what people say, like what the right has to say about the left when it comes to race is basically you guys don't look y'all don't like them no more than we do right like if you really think about that that's kind of the undercurrent of a lot of the white conservative arguments against white liberals and white liberals say things about race it is really like that all the all the judgment people have about wokeness and all this stuff and as dismissive as those folks can be is because they look at the white people who say that they are down for lack of a better term the cause and they're saying to them y'all don't mean this i know you we 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 kick it around you guys like this this ain't how you get down. Will Kane um, is a conservative dude who works at ESPN, and something I picked up on about Will is Will always says you don't know anything about how I live my life. And what I've always taken from that with Will is we've never caught up, but Will's always inviting me like, hey, let's go have a drink, hey, let's go catch up, all of these sorts of things. I have always interpreted that as Will saying, I'll hang out with these black people at work. Right, like Mark Lamont Hill at CNN. I don't know how familiar you are with his work. No, he is, yeah. But, but he and Will, as it may surprise you, are like cool. Like, well, like I've Mark always been surprised, and this was this actually made me feel positive about Will because I was, you know, I would just see him on TV, and yeah. I thought, Ugh. but then you said to me once that you had no problems with him, and no. that you actually liked him, and I that made me look at him a different way, and I actually then started picking up on him in a different way. Yeah, you know, yeah, I. He's yeah, I think his politics are insane, right? Like, like I can't, like, I don't agree with the things that he says, you know what I mean? But I think his point is, I'm, and I don't think he's doing this, like, to prove anything. Like, I think he legitimately would like to hang out with me, like, he legitimately enjoyed hanging out with Mark. And a guy like Will is looking at a lot of white liberals and saying, so, who are you hanging out with? Yeah, and you that's know? A, like, I actually think that's a fair criticism. I do, I think too. I think there's a lot of white liberals who have no black friends, and they like... Yeah black people in theory but not really in practice exactly and that is what i think a lot of this pushback against joe biden from all these conservatives who all of a sudden give a damn about black identity is they're looking at biden and they're being like oh okay y'all are so much better than us huh tell me about how you so well, let me actually put it another way and you may not agree with this but i think it's true i always say hypocritical liberals like people in theory not in practice they like the idea of you but they don't want to be around you Yes. And I actually think a lot of conservatives are the opposite. They dislike people in theory, but then once they meet them, they actually like them. So I always say to my friend Ricky Jones, who's an African-American yeah. studies professor here at Louisville, if I brought you home to where I was from, 
people would be nice to you and you would love them. And he'd be like, no, they won't. And I'm like, Ricky, they would. They don't like the idea of you, but right. if they met you, they actually would like you. And part of what I try to do here in Kentucky is say, hey, liberals and conservatives, you think you hate these people, but honestly, you'd like them if you just give them a shot. Yeah, my buddy Hayes always made this point. He said it was the difference between the North and the South, but there's something to it. And Maybe he says, so, yeah. And, and, I, and I think it fits with conservatives and liberals, too. You just, you know, switch the analogy. But he was like, um, in the South, he's like, in the South, white people hate black people, except the ones they know. Oh, in the that's North, definitely yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. And in the North, white people love black people, except, except the ones they the ones know. They know. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, that that always struck me, and I think, and I really do think, because you know, I grew up going to school in a town with fifteen hundred people. That's about twenty miles outside of Houston. Like I went in the middle of Texas A and M country and all this, right? I would say it was an integrated school, but like, I mean, I see what them folks are posting about on Facebook these days, right? Like, I see, I see where their sentiments are. They say things that occasionally break my heart from time to time. Um, but growing up. Those people, I, I can't say those people treated me badly. I can't, I yeah. can't, you know, there'd be like stuff that popped up or whatever it was, but I think you're right. In the actual application of it, like once you get people beyond the ideas, they interact better than I think they would expect. Like, you know, somebody, you took Ricky down to where you from with you there to vouch for him. Like, Ricky just show up at the gas station out of nowhere. Ain't no and telling how true. this might go. <laughs> that's, that's a fair, you know, well, I, I think he'd still be fine, but it would help if I vouch for it. Yes. I, I agree with that. Let me ask you a question when you what you just said about uh, uh, sort of knowing people you you've I think because in our culture war, Jamel had it worse, but you got it too. You yeah. two kind of became the sports writer or sports commentator. okay, this is the example of liberal sports gone too far. Yes. And then some people like Clay Travis then pushed it, even turned your name into a term. <laughs> I want you to, at, to answer this as a human being. Did it bother you? Like, does it's easy to say it doesn't bother me. Like I try to say, because sometimes people come after me in, gr in droves, but at some point it does get old. Did it ever on a, just a personal level bother you? Well, what bothers me, at least with Clay, is that people felt like they had to take him seriously. You know what I mean? Like that was the that like that was like you want to talk about like white privilege stuff being really annoying. Is that the idea that a dude like Clay could come out here and say whatever craziness he wants, and it doesn't have to be based in anything I've actually done? And people really treated it like it had to be legitimized. They're like, hey, we need to consider what it is that he's saying. Like that that bothered me a bit. And the part I think if I say that something, I don't know, bothered me is the right way to put it, but I think the interactions that you and I have had over the years are like, it speaks to what, what annoyed me about this, which is like we said in the beginning, we've been doing this now for about 14 years. I've been coming on your radio shows. I have written on your website. Like, I feel like I still haven't done it. I've been trying to, but I feel like if I said, if we said one year that I was coming to the Kentucky Louisville game and that me and you were going to be hanging out at the restaurant before or after the game, we'd probably have a lot of people who would be glad that they finally had the chance to meet I agree. Me oh, after all yeah. our interactions all those years, right? And the reason that that's the case is my interactions with you and on the website and on the radio show and everything else has just been about me and you hanging out. Like there's never been any sort of facetious, I'm bringing my black friend on here, <laughs> but, you and I, but what you and I figured out about each other very quickly was how much we had in common. 
Yeah. You know, like like it, it got it, it's right there. And what you and I have in common really has a lot to do with my personal exposure to like rural American Southern life. Like I know the people that you are talking to um, in a way that people don't realize because they make all these assumptions about me. And that's kind of my superpower is my ability <laughs> to talk to people that folks don't think that I can talk to, right? Like I know to come on the radio and if I start talking about in high school, getting the wood together to build speaker boxes and all of this stuff, right? I know the white dudes that grew up in these towns, in these places with these pickup trucks, I know they did the same thing. And I know that because when I was in high school, we were sitting there talking to the white boys about building the boxes and coming up with dimensions and all this stuff. Like we did, like we did all that. And so when those people try to otherize me in that way, like, yeah, race creates all these differences and everything else. But what bothered me was a whole lot of these people that think they hate me, they would listen to my show or whatever I did. They listened to it for a month. Chances are they'd probably love it because they'd realize that we are a lot more similar than they ever would have believed. Okay, right? so that sounds like a very optimistic view of humanity. And what's interesting is, and over the years, I think we have a, a lot in common. I'd yeah, say I'm, we not, have, I'm not as optimistic as you though. <laughs> I'm much more optimistic than you. Like I see the good in people in ways that I don't feel like, not just you, but few people do. But you and I, I would say most of our disagreements have been about optimism. The most yes. famous one was, I thought Obama could win and you didn't. Correct. But we've had, a lot, we've had a lot of those examples over the years, but that's actually what you just said is very optimistic. Yeah, but I think it's optimistic with a, with a ceiling to it, right? Like I'm saying that they're capable, I'm saying they're capable of enjoying my radio show, right? Which is like not no different necessarily than saying that your grandma, your, your grandfather may have had a significant attraction to Lena Horne. Um, you know, like, like you can, you can do this. Like that's, that's what gets me about these people. I'm not asking them to vote for nobody or anything like that. I am asking you to enjoy this sports content that I'm putting together that is created for a wide group of people. And that's like, so a guy like Clay who makes, small tent content, right? Like he has identified a very particular group of people that he wants his content to attract. And that's who he's working toward. Me, I'm the person that's out here with my arms wide open saying there is room in here for everybody. But they act like I'm the one that's somehow some exclusionary racist. And that's the part that annoys me, not even so much that he does it, but the fact that there are legitimate people in this business who act like he's right, you know? Yeah. Like, like, like they act like they ignore people who work, who like, I've been doing this now for almost, you know, doing this publicly for like 20, like 20 years at this point. Like I've been doing this for a long time. And I got relationships with guys like you, with guys like Spencer, like all these different people that have demonstrated that I go do this with everybody, right? I am, I am as inclusive in my approach as anybody else is. And I'm not doing it to get no like pat on the back for it. I'm doing it because I think it's best. I'm doing it because it's what I enjoy. But I just hate to think that some people are so fucking stupid that Clay Travis can come out here and tell you that, well, this guy's a racist. And you're like, oh, looks okay to me. <laughs> that sounds about right. And then just keep it You know, moving. it's interesting you say that because you do, I, I had a conversation like this with just the other day. And it's a conversation you were a middle person in once where I actually made the argument you made about something else, which was somebody didn't like that they didn't think my position on something was progressive enough. And one of the things I said to him was, look, that's easy for you to say because you're talking to a particular kind of people. I have to talk to an entire state, an entire state that a lot of them disagree with me. The majority disagree with me. And if I, and I'm trying to get not just 
the the progressive folks, I'm trying to get their grandparents to listen, right? right? And so like, I can't do everything like you do because I'm trying to do things in a digestible form for many different types of people. And that's a different thing than when you can play to a niche. And yes. I, you've always realized that, that like I have to do things differently than a lot of people think. And you've always realized that, realized that and I always appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, man, because I'm, hey, man, this, this black thing is a little weird. Like, I remember once, and this is, this is like, to me, I did this, and I've honestly thought to myself, I might be the best radio host in America when I pulled this off. <laughs> so, it was about, uh, the ACC was having their baseball tournament in South Carolina, I think it was, and it was, you know, they had the battle flag up at the time at the State House and all of this. And I'll never forget, some guy in South Carolina who called himself a big fan of mine asked me to do his radio show, and I said, cool. And I remember I got on, and before I even said anything, he was just like, so, Bomani, the ACC, or as I call them, the ACCPC. And then he starts rolling, and he said something about the NAACP. And he was just like, so why is the NAACP doing this? And I honestly said to him, are you talking to me? Because I, I, I was like, I don't work there. Like, 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 like how, how, how am I supposed to answer these questions? Like, I feel totally ambushed in the situation. And so I came back on my show that day, and I was like, okay, so how am I going to deal with this, like, idea of the Confederate flag? And I figured out what I was going to do. Because I've been doing the show now for a while. It's a 10-to-1 show, and you know that's a more intimate relationship with an audience on the Yes, it is. Because yeah. they're, they're there longer. They're not just catching you in transit. They're more likely to be making a conscious decision to listen. If they listen to you from 10-to-1, they want to hear you. Exactly. That's exactly. why Lebitard, Kornheiser over the years, that's yep. what Cowherd, like, yep. that's the thing. You know? Exactly. And so... I just remember I got on the radio and I said, all right, so you guys are telling me that, you know, the Confederate flag is a reflection of being Southern and you want to express your pride in being Southern. And I said, okay, cool. If you want to do that and you say that it's not about like exclusion or anything, that's fine. Um, but like, I'm Southern. I'm very proud of being Southern. Why don't we come up with something that we, that we both can get down with like why why would if it's about being southern why don't you want something that everybody from the south can get behind and i said i was like we're gonna go to commercial and i'm gonna give you the phone number and i'm really just here to talk like if you if, you know why don't you want something that's more inclusive if that's you know what you want to do and we sat there for them four minutes during that break and that phone didn't move that light didn't come on none of it did and, <laughs> like it was and i was just like okay so now you get me right but I can't get I can't get there with those people if I come on and I'm like, well, you know what? You guys are just supporting slavery, damn it. No, that's that that approach is not going to work with with those folks if I want them to hear me. If I just want to say I said it, then I can just come out here and rail. I actually want these people to hear me. Well, that's yeah, that's a, that is the great way to put it. That's what that is what I, the way I the, part of the way I would articulate it is you want to have credibility with your audience. And I always say, if I just sit there, when have you ever in your life been called a name by somebody and it's changed their mind? Like, right. I mean, I mean nobody, like if somebody yells at me or calls me a name, do they really think that the argument they make after I'm going to listen to? Right. You know, you, you actually helped me through a situation. If you remember when the lady said the N word yeah. at the uh, UK basketball game, you remember yeah. that yeah. yelled at the Tennessee fan. Yeah. And I like, I wasn't trying to take up for, but I was trying to say like, I don't know what I was trying to say. I was yeah. trying to basically say, hey, look, everybody just take a step back. And you said to me at some point, you were like, I get what you're doing, but you don't have to take up for every human being. 
<laughs> yes, because so, the, the place that she was in, and I think the white people very often have this tendency because look, man, this racism is all over the place, right? And so, like I say, we could call a foul on every play if we wanted to. It doesn't necessarily speak to like the inherent goodness or evil within anybody, but this stuff surrounds us. Like I'm capable of saying something misogynist at any point because this stuff is everywhere and it just surrounds us. So I feel like what happens is when somebody like that gets caught up, white people get very afraid that, oh, wow, now this person is going to be judged for this thing that could happen to anybody at any point in their lives. And black people are like, what you mean it could happen to anybody, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, that's exactly what happened. I mean, I got there and, and I actually had a lot of fruitful conversations from it, but I had a lot of black Kentuckians going, dude, this is what you decide to take up for. And I wanted to respond, well, I would take up for you too. Yeah, yeah. And but they I, were like, but I don't get a chance to do this stuff. Yeah. You know, like it's so. But you, but you were in a different trick bag too, because you are a representative of your state before the nation. and. I always say that the only reason Colorado is not like Mississippi is because it's not 40% black. Like you, you make Colorado 40% black, like you make any state in America 40% black, it becomes Mississippi. But what we do have is people like to pick out and choose who are the real racist states that are out here. And Kentucky is one of them. Like that woman felt fit very nicely into a stereotype. But you agree that's nonsense. Like I know that's my point. I agree that it's nonsense, but I also know that a lot of being you in public is fighting back against the stereotypes of your home. And yes. so when this person does this thing that is very like endemic of the stereotype, there's a reflex to then be like, hey, just so you know, we're not all like that. And this is how you think that this is, right? You know, so I, I could totally see where you were coming from, but I was like, oh no, baby, she got to fight this one all by herself. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, before we, before I let you go, give me a couple predictions do you when when do you think college football comes back and what's the form and when do you think college basketball comes back and what's the form and by that i mean like will there be fans like that kind of thing i think that college basketball will come back in january um fans if there's a vaccine none if there's not i do not think college football is coming back i don't really? think the NFL, i don't think the nfl's coming back I disagree with you on that. I just think I, th these athletic departments can't can't they, they'll they'll go bankrupt. Well, I think some of them just gonna go bankrupt. I mean, the problem is I just don't know how you can do this safely with the football team being the size of a football team. So you that, would say you wouldn't even think they'd come back in January? I just don't know how, right? Like logistic, because you're right. Well, one thing that's funny about this too. While you're right that. Um, a lot of these athletic departments need the money. It's also worth noting, a lot of these athletic departments are losing money on this football every day. Well, the small ones are, but the big ones aren't. I mean, the, the big, big ones, no, the big the big ones, ones are all making money. Right, but the small ones are a big part of this ecosystem, right? Oh, they like, are. The, like they the big are. ones need something to eat. And so, like, if you, <laughs> like, you know, you start taking them out. So, like, do you see, uh, I mean, the Cal State system says that they're not going to, uh, they're not going to do, uh, do, do this stuff in the fall. So that's San Jose State, Fresno State, and San Diego State out of the Mountain West. That's half the conference. That conference is basically not playing ball this year. Yeah. You know? I still will believe, believe it when I see it. Yeah, I, mean, no, I, was, I just I was where you were three or four weeks ago. But I've changed because I don't think they care. Yeah, that's, that's the hard part. What we're trying to figure out is how much they care. I don't say that to be mean. I just, right. well, I, I'll use this example. I said this on yesterday's podcast. There just came a point where I was like, 
Now you're different, Bo. You're in New York. And I talk to my girlfriend every day and she's in New York and you guys are different in New York because it hit there in a different way than it hit in the rest of America. Yes. And you all have gotten accustomed to a shutdown level that really no one else in the country did. Yeah. But with that said, after like, I mean, I was Mr. Stay In. And then after six or seven weeks or eight weeks, I was like, you know what? I don't want to be inside anymore. And so I'm going. And I wasn't like trying to do, hurt anything. It was just like, I can't do this anymore. And there's a lot of people a lot more willing to do that than me. I mean, look, I don't know if you saw, there was a dirt track race in Tennessee yesterday and the stands were full. No, I, think I don't it, I don't if they miss open them, people much. will come. Yeah, I think I don't miss y'all that much. Like, I, I, have, I, have, I have been amazed at people doing that. I think the, the thing with New York, though, that's important is this city is built on you to catch a ride with somebody, right? Like, I would probably approach this a lot differently if I had a car and I could drive myself in, you know, in this environment that I have maintained. Yeah. I would probably view this differently. And, that's, and it's hard for me to appreciate what this is to other people just because I'm in such a unique place. That, well, I you mean, know, talking to, to Rachel, like I'm still amazed how, it, I mean, I'm, I'm coming there this weekend, so I'll be in New York. I'm still amazed how she explains it still is today. You know, yeah. like still nothing's open. No, nothing's you know, changed. That's crazy. Nothing's changed. No, man, it's a, I mean, I, I get where the, I mean, the restlessness and everything that people are getting to, but that second wave on the way, baby. And like, where are we going to be in that second wave when whatever decisions they make have to be implemented? I think that becomes the question because everybody's crossing their fingers, hoping that it's seasonal and that the heat will yeah. take away from the spread of the disease. And like, I've talked to people who talk to Fauci and they believe like that, that is what they're telling me after they've, you know, talked to their people, you know, that come back that they believe that this is going to happen. And hopefully for all those people, they are correct. But I mean, I ain't so sure. Well, I just want to one day via you get to go to a Tommy Alter dinner. That's all I want. <laughs> oh, I can make that happen. You know, like, I just want to go to one. We ain't one Tommy to, Alter dinner. We ain't going to be able to make it happen in Lexington. But if I can get you here the right weekend, it can be done. All right. Hey, Bo, thank you very much, man. Little bad. Appreciate you.